Well, better late than never. Hi, I'm Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts, and this is finally the sermon from Christ the King Sunday, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, which was November 26th this year, and because we had a different thing happening in church with the sermon time, it took a little bit longer. But here's the whole thing, the music and the text. It was a sermon delivered in conjunction with the choir. They had three pieces, three spirituals about Jesus, and I have woven my sermon in and around those three pieces. So you'll hear a little bit of sermon, and then you'll hear our wonderful choir singing, and then you'll hear some more speaking and some more singing. Uh, Bill Kruger is the soloist on the last piece. Hope you enjoy it. Please remain standing for the reading of the Gospel, which comes from the Gospel of John in the 18th chapter, verses 33 through 37. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our sermon time is a bit different this morning. It's both in word and in music, and I'll be providing some brief meditations, and the choir will be singing part of the message in between those meditations this morning. In all of my 47 years, I think the number of Sundays that I have not been in church probably numbers in the single digits. We were always in church. Even when we were in vacation, we found a church somewhere. But that doesn't necessarily mean that worship services were always exciting and relevant to me. I grew up in the days where even here in New England, the whole family went to Sunday school, and then the whole family stayed for church, and it was pretty much a whole morning thing. Uh, In the South, it was a whole day thing. That meant that as a child, I sat through every single service, every single sermon, every single week, without so much as a children's sermon to entertain me. And I have to say that there weren't too many sermons that I really understood especially in my elementary school years, and I could get pretty bored sitting there. Fortunately, one of the members of the congregation where I grew up was an artist, and hanging on the sanctuary walls were four enormous paintings of scenes from Jesus' life. Just like today, families tend to stake out their pew. You know, if I, if I don't see you one Sunday, it might just be because you're sitting in the wrong pew. I'm... <laughs> I know Lizats are going to be here. I know the Welsh is going to be over there. And, and we were no different then. 
And that meant that one of the paintings in the sanctuary was much easier for me to look at than the other three because that was the one where we were close. And unlike the others, the one by our pew wasn't really a scene of Jesus' ministry. It was simply this large picture of Jesus standing with a shepherd's crook with sort of sky and clouds in the background. And as I looked at that picture, it didn't look like he was paying much attention to the sermon either. (laughs) And I connected to the Jesus in the painting as a friend who was sort of in the same boat that I was kind of bored in church and wishing we could be doing something a little more exciting. So imaginative kid that I was, my imagination took off, and like Lucy entering the wardrobe on her way into Narnia, I entered that painting in my mind, and I went off and sort of did fun things together with Jesus on my Sunday mornings until the final hymn brought me back. Now I say all of that, because I don't think that children are alone in finding church boring and Jesus kind of cool. The church isn't supposed to be an end by itself. The church is supposed to be the vehicle for helping people meet Jesus and feel like Jesus is somebody you can go off and have adventures with. But we often forget that. The church becomes all about the church, and Jesus gets relegated to a picture on a wall or a story in a book. Jesus becomes a set of doctrines that we're supposed to agree with instead of a person to come to know and enjoy and love. And I think it's time to get Jesus back, especially in those times when we're feeling very alone, the times when everybody seems distant for whatever reasons the times when we just can't see past ourselves because of what we're going through. Jesus is who we need. Jesus is who we need in those times because Jesus is the one who makes God accessible. Jesus gives God a human face, and we trust him because he has lived this life, the real life, the hard life, the life where they gang up and kill you for no good reason. I've been in church all of my life for only one reason. It's a place where Jesus has promised to meet me, and that promise has been faithfully kept. I do meet Jesus in other places as well, but like a couple that returns time and time again to the place of their first meeting, I come back to the place where, despite all of the baggage of organized religion, and there's a ton of it, Somehow, in all of that, I managed to meet Jesus and to fall in love. Ultimately, however, it's not about the church as an organized structure. Organized religion is as likely to make you crazy as it is to make you holy. It's not about doctrine or dogma or whether worship services are stately and traditional or raucous and contemporary. Give me either or neither. It doesn't matter. The church is not being the church unless it gives me Jesus.
as I was preparing these meditations this week, I came across an article about a meeting of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops in Chicago in 2005. They had many things on their agenda for their three-day meeting, one of which was a vote on retaining some of the liturgy that was part of the Mass during the liturgical reforms in the 60s and 70s. Well, one of the bishops apparently had issues with the phrase, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. They ended up debating it the entire morning and then tabling the discussion for another time. Those words are not just part of the Catholic Mass. They're also part of our own communion liturgy. We call it a proclamation of the mystery of faith, and everybody says it together. Apparently, the words came to both the Catholic liturgy and to us from French liturgist Father Lucien Dice, who wrote the phrase in 1964. The details and the quotes from the debate were pretty wild to read about, and the controversy seemed to have more to do with the fact that the words were not part of the old Latin mass than anything else, although some people kept trying to make a theological argument about them. And all in all, as I read through all of this stuff, it seemed to me to be a nice summary of why the church is in trouble. (laughs) Not just the Catholic Church, but all of us. Those types of academic debates aren't limited to Catholic circles. We've all got them. When I served at St. John's in Dover, New Hampshire, a woman in the congregation made an appointment to come see me. Raised in the Catholic Church, she was trying to understand how United Methodists view Holy Communion. So she went online, and she found a statement produced by a study group that our denomination had appointed to look at our own communion liturgy. It was 42 pages long. She came into my office, she threw down the 42 pages on the coffee table and said, what's all this about? Either it's the body of Christ or it's not. What can possibly take 42 pages? (laughs) I know people are very well-intentioned when they think through these issues. People I know served on that study group. I know it matters how we talk about God in our worship together. But somehow, I don't think that God ever intended us to take 42 pages to figure out how to share a meal with Jesus. When we think about Jesus, we think about the parts of life that have meaning for our own lives. We think about how he died and how we'll die, too. We think about his resurrection from the dead and how that gives us hope in facing the inevitable. We think about the promise that he will return and reclaim the world and fix the mess we've gotten ourselves into. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. When I think about being United Methodist, I think about the things that are particular to our denomination, our emphasis on free will instead of on God having every minute all planned out, the communion table that's open to everybody, the focus on grace instead of judgment, and so forth. But when I think about Jesus, it's a whole different thing. Jesus isn't a denomination or a program or a doctrine. Jesus is a person, a divine person, with whom I have a loving relationship. I don't know about you, but if you think about the person you love, 
are 42 pages of analysis what com- is what comes to mind? If it is, I have some counselors I can suggest for you because you're going to need them in that relationship. But I don't think God ever intended for us to think about Jesus as an intellectual exercise. God has hoped that we'll think about Jesus the way we think about the people we love. When I look back and I think about my father, I think about three things. I think about the night he died and my overwhelming grief. I think about the gratitude I have that he lives and lives on with Christ. And I think about how happy I will be one day when my own eyes close for the last time, only to open and see his for the first time in many years. When it comes down to it, that's all that really matters in any relationship that really matters. And that's what I think of when I think about Jesus. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. On the church calendar, today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday in the Christian year. Next week is New Year's Day for the church. We begin the year in the church by preparing for the baby Jesus to be born. And then we go right on through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, ending the church year with the reminder that the one who began as a humble babe in a manger... Ended as a king before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now, maybe you believe that and maybe you don't. But I want to tell you why I think that that's important. 
First, I think we need the reminder that we're talking in metaphors. Whether we're calling Jesus the Son of God, the King, the Good Shepherd, the True Vine, the Light of the World, or whatever, they're all earthly terms that we're using to try and describe a spiritual reality. While we live on earth, we can't know exactly what the spiritual realm is like. All we know is that it's different, very, very different. All our attempts to describe it are incomplete. Some of them are probably wrong. They're all just ways that we try to relate to something very different by referring to something that for us is familiar. So when we talk about Jesus as a king, we're saying that Jesus relates to us in some way like a king relates to his people. And at first, that's not very heartening. To say that there will be a king is to say that heaven is not a democracy. God is not, God's will is not going to be determined by polling the majority. To say there's a king is to say that there is an authority above and beyond ourselves. And I think that's important because I think it's an important check on human pride. But while it makes us a bit nervous to think that somebody else is calling the shots, the good news in this case is that the monarch is Jesus. It's not a cruel tyrant. It isn't a wimp. It's Jesus, the one who healed the sick, the one who forgave capital offenses, the one who tossed demons around like ants, who outwitted the self-righteous Pharisees and kicked some serious you-know-what when things got out of line at the temple. Whatever your situation is, this is a king that can handle it. Gentle and kind with the downtrodden, hard as nails with those who distort God's love, patient and forgiving with those who are trying their best, brilliant and shrewd with the crafty, fiercely protective of those under his care. This is not a king who will send you out into battle to risk your life for him. This is a king who will go out himself first to die for you. For the persecuted through the ages, this is why the image of King Jesus has risen up time and time again. All of these spirituals that the choir is singing this morning come from the African-American tradition. And King Jesus was important to look to. King Jesus is the champion for those who have none. He's bad news for those who want to abuse the weak or to block some from entering the gateway to his kingdom. If you've fallen by the side of the road, King Jesus will find you and will lift you up. His chariot won't just ride on by because he's too important to stop. He will always have time for those who truly want to know him. He obliterates any fear because he's stronger than any foe and more loyal even than a mother to her children. His word is the law, and that law is love. So on this last Sunday of the Christian year, we remember the promise of how it will be one day. 
Probably it's not going to look like all the common pictures we have of what's been called the millennium or the age to come or any of those post-apocalyptic images. Jesus himself says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's of a different kind of substance. But we do have the promise that whatever it looks like, there'll be justice and mercy and victory over all that is evil. When King Jesus comes riding in, death flees, illness vanishes, violence crawls into a hole and is stopped up forever. Nobody debates whether the king rode in properly. Nobody writes 42 pages about whether he is a king or the king or somebody who symbolizes a king but isn't really. And nobody needs to preach sermons that bore children anymore. You just join in the parade, bask in the love, and shout, Ride on, King Jesus.
Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. Love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at annrobertson.com. At Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Music